I'm going to read and then pray, and, and we'll get going. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 8. This is God's word. It's really good. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of the heavens, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. All right, I'm gonna pray for us. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you for uh, the scriptures. Thank you for the Bible. Uh, your words, uh, we know you give them to us because you love us. And by your spirit, you continue to work in and through them. And I pray that you do that now. Uh, we, we need your spirit to work. Uh, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see the truths and uh, the grace in this passage. I pray, would we see Jesus? And we pray in his name, amen. Uh, many years ago, <clears throat> I came across this story um, about this elephant named Bozo. Now, when I was, I was a 90s kid, so I hear Bozo, I immediately think of the weird clown. But this was an elephant in England, and it was a super popular, very uh, adored elephant, uh, famous, right? But one day, there was a sudden change in the elephant's personality. Uh, he, would, he would charge people. Uh, if, they, if they got too close, several times he tried to kill his innkeeper, and, uh, and so the circus owner was this greedy, cruel man, and he decided to stage a public execution. Yeah, I know, it's a crazy story. Uh, public execution of Bozo. And what he was going to do is he was going to charge money, um, like ba basically charge admission for people to come see this public execution of Bozo. Uh, the reason he was doing this one, he's a greedy, cruel man, but he was also trying to recover some of the value that he's about to lose. This animal's not providing anything for him. And so he's like, I got to recover some cost, right? And so anyway, the day came, huge circus tent was packed. Bozo was in the cage in the center of the stage in this ring. And uh, nearby stood a firing squad ready for the, the manager, the circus owner, to give the signal. 
right? And when, when all of a sudden out of the crowd came this short, just average-looking, regular-looking dude, uh, comes out of the crowd, got a coat, derby hat, walks up to the manager, and he says, there, there's no need for this. Like, he kind of says it very gently, not aggressive. There's no need for this. And the manager responds to him like, hey, this is a bad, this is a bad elephant. Like, he's, he's going to hurt someone, kill someone. Uh, I need to make some money back, right? And the little man that approached the manager is like, you are wrong. He says, you are wrong. He insisted. He said, give me two minutes in the cage with the elephant, and I'll prove it. So circus manager is like, you know, he's seeing dollar signs, opportunity. He's like, okay. And he's like, you got to sign this waiver, you know, like before you jump in there. It signs a waiver, opens the cage. This man, this average looking man, nobody knew who he was. Nobody knew who he was. Steps into the cage with Bozo. The circus manager closes it, locks it. You hear it clink. And he's in there, right? Um, so he's in there. And the elephant starts to do typically what it would do when other people would approach it. It like kind of got aggressive, sort of shaking and flopping its ears around, making some sounds or whatever. And then it lowers its head like, like it, it's about to charge, right? And as it's lowering its head and kind of scratching at the ground, this man st starts to speak. And like people in the crowd could hear him talking but could not make out exactly what he's saying. And not only that, they were like, I'm pretty sure it's another language. But they, they didn't know for certain. And so as the man started to speak to the elephant, all of a sudden, the elephant's aggression just kind of melted away. He kind of turned into a big, just a big uh, baby, just a big old pet puppy dog, right? And, uh, and then this man approached the elephant, kind of scratched its ears and was talking to it up close and rubbing its head, and then just started to walk it around the cage. And at this moment, the crowd freaks out. Like, they go crazy. I mean, cheering, clapping is the most amazing thing they'd ever seen, right? Um, it, was, it was awesome. And as the, as the man gets his coat and his hat, he starts to, he's done walking the elephant and calming it down, he walks to the manager to get out of the cage, and uh, he looks at the manager and he says, hey, he's going to be all right now. He'll be all right. You see, he's an Indian elephant, and none of you spoke his language. He was just homesick. The elephant was just homesick. And after that, the man steps out of the cage and leaves. And so the manager, the circus manager, is just kind of astounded. Like, what, what just happened? This is unbelievable. And he's just kind of sitting there, jaws dropped to the ground, and he's holding that waiver. And he looks at it, and it's signed Rudyard Kipling, the Kipling that wrote The Jungle Book. And it, it should not surprise us that he can talk to animals, you know? I was like, that's amazing. Uh, but what, one of the things I love about this story is uh, I think we can relate to the, to the elephant most. You know, I think we know what it's like to be homesick. You know, like homesickness. 
It's something everybody can understand. Like we've all been homesick before, whether it was when you were a kid and you were at your friend's house and all of a sudden you thought, mm, it's a little too creepy, I wanna go back home, right? And you call your mom and dad. Uh, or even we could go beyond that to that deeper longing that we have, right? That deeper longing for home uh, that maybe resonates with us, right? This, this uh, you know it, you know what I'm talking about. It's, the, um, it's that restlessness you feel in this world that we all feel, like uh, this restlessness deep inside of us, you know, that things just aren't the way they're supposed to be, you know, um, you sense it. And at some point, in some way, we all long for a better place, right? We, we all long for a place to call home. You know, I'm, I live in Gainesville, and we, we love our neighborhood, we love our community and our friends and what we're doing there. Uh, but I'm originally from a small town in Northeast Alabama, and my wife is too. I went to the University of North Alabama, a historical Division II powerhouse. Anyway, I mean, there are times where I catch myself daydreaming about home. You know, I'm, I'm not unhappy where I am necessarily, but I'll find myself daydreaming about home. And I bet you guys sit around sometimes, and you probably have moments where you daydream about home, whatever that may be for you, right? Abraham felt that. Like every person in Hebrews 11 felt that tension, the, the tension of being here but, but not at home, right? Uh, Non-Christians, Christians, it doesn't matter. Like we all feel this tension. Uh, and so God, so we'll, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at two things briefly today. We're gonna look at our way home and our future home. Uh, and just to kind of, the big idea I want in the back of your mind, and we'll come back to this, is God, ultimately God is our home. And we're always gonna feel that tension and we're always gonna feel that restlessness until we're with him, right? And there's nothing in this world that will ever satisfy and meet that longing. So let's think about it, our way home, our future home. Hebrews 11 was written to and for people who were beaten up. Like they're persecuted. Like the, some of the stuff they're going through is worse than 2020. And 2020 is bad. I give it no stars. I do not recommend, you know, like it's, it's terrible. But they had it hard. I mean, they were really persecuted, these, these churches that he's writing this to. And so anyway, the author of Hebrew wants these folks to endure. He wants them to persevere. Like he wants them to make it, uh, to make it home. And he knows that ultimately they will do this by faith. Uh, in fact, that phrase, by faith, if you look in this chapter, it shows up over 10 times in one chapter of the Bible, 10 times, by faith. Uh, Hebrews 11, if you go back to the very beginning of Hebrews 11, verse 1, it gives us a definition of faith. It's, there's a lot of ways to define faith in a lot of places in the Bible that does it, but verse 1 in chapter 11 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Abraham is one of the best examples of this. Abraham was not perfect. Go back and read Genesis. He was a bonehead, did really dumb things sometimes. But he really is a great example if you look at the, his total life of, of what it looks like to live by faith. Uh, three of the world's major religions 
kind of all look to Abraham as a great example of living by faith. And so here's a question I want us to, to explore. What, what does it look like for you? What does it look like for me to live by faith? Because um, that's our way home, is, is living by faith. That's our way back to God, right? Um, there's a few things. One, hearing. Okay, living by faith starts with hearing. Look at verse eight. If you just look back at verse eight, Abraham heard the call of God. And there's other places in the Bible that kind of talk about this hearing. I mean, Romans 10, verse 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So hearing, it's a big deal. Uh, Like you can't live by faith unless you hear the call of God. And today the call of God comes through his word, right? Uh, You know, in the Bible, God tells us, this is the way home. This is the way back to me. This is how to be part of my family. Trust me, right? Hear me. Uh, And so that's one, hearing. Next, obeying. Uh, Living by faith involves obeying, okay? Abraham heard the call of God, and what? You look back at verse eight. By faith, it literally says this, by faith, Abraham obeyed. Like faith leads to obedience. Living, saving faith leads to obedience. Uh, one, one way you can think about it is, uh, a friend of mine, he, he said this one time, and he said, faith means you do stuff. Like it compels us, it moves us, right? Um, real saving faith will disturb your life. It don't, it's not just it means you do stuff. It can be disturbing sometimes, right? Like you'll want to do things you've never wanted to do. Like you'll want, you'll, you'll care about things you've never cared for, right? It could be all kinds of stuff. Like you'll start caring about the things Jesus cared about and you'll want to follow him. Um, you know, it could be anything like you love and serve the church. You start thinking about generosity. You start thinking about the poor. You start sharing your faith. I mean, you start doing all kinds of things. You start apologizing. Whoa. I remember I became a Christian in college, and uh, I became a Christian when I was probably 20 years old. And I remember going back home, and I remember apologizing to my mom. I, I still do this sometimes. I'm almost 40, and we'll be laughing, and she'll tell some story about my high school years. And I'm just kind of like, Mom, I'm so sorry. I was really a jerk. Like, it wasn't just being a teen. I was sinful. And I didn't love you well, right? Like, you, faith is gonna move us to do all sorts of things. And here's why, I think. We're not gonna be good at it. I'm not good at obeying. I'm the worst one in this room at it, I promise you. Just talk to me later, we'll compare notes. I'll win, right? It, but, but it'll move you to do all sorts of things. And, uh, and why would you do those things? Why would I? Why would I apologize to my mom? And I think it's because because you're not the most important thing anymore. Like you realize God is the most important thing, right? So hearing, obeying, and then the last thing living by faith will do is it's it's transforming, transforming. And you see that here. It has the power to change you. And here's what I mean by that. Like it has the power to change what you love. Look at, I mean, look at verse nine. It's talking about Abraham. By faith, he went to live in a foreign land. That doesn't seem like a big deal. 
you know? Here's what you got to realize. Abraham, Abraham gave up comfort. He gave up safety, security, familiar, family connection. I mean, he, he walked away from a lot. He walked away from a lot of the things we love, right? Um, but that's the thing. That's the reality. Faith will change the things you love, right? It just will. Uh, some examples, like uh, you, um, you stop needing others' approval, right? Because all of a sudden you have God's approval. Right? And you, you used to love others' approval, and now you love it a little less because ultimately you have God's approval, right? You give up what brings you security because ultimately God is your security. It's not always comfortable. It's not always safe, but, but you begin to see that. Uh, a friend of mine in St. Louis, I lived in St. Louis, Missouri for a few years. A friend of mine up there, he gives, a, he gives away charities, church, you name it. Um, he gives away 40% of his income, 40%. His goal is 50%. And I, I can remember, like, I can remember be, hanging out with him and him telling, we're, we're just Christians, we're friends, we're talking about this, and I can just remember being blown away. And I remember specifically what he said. He was like, Brian, he's like, man, I don't want money to ever have any power over me. And I never want to love money more than I do God. And he's like, and so it's just one of the ways I do it. And he's like, it's not for everybody, but he's like, this is what I do. And, and I, I still, I'll never forget that conversation. And I'm not saying you need to do that. But what I want you to hear is like, faith, living by faith will transform what you love. Like my friend did not love money. And he's like, I'm going to spend my life trying not to love money. For you, it could be something else. I don't know what it is. It could be your career, your reputation. Um, it could be all kinds of stuff, right? Uh, I'm not saying you have to do any of those things like my friend. Um, but what I do want you to hear is like living by faith shouldn't always be comfortable. It shouldn't be safe or convenient. Like it really will disturb our life. I mean, you look at verse 10 because I think it helps us understand how Abraham was able to do this. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. <clears throat> Abraham lived by faith in the present because he looked forward to something better, right? Like, he knew nothing in this world has the kind of foundations that he could trust in, that he could hope in. He knew it. Right? And, and that's the thing. Like, you and I, I do this. We will try to make this world and things of this world, we will try to make them our home. Right? But they cannot guarantee what your heart longs for. They just can't. Uh, they just can't. You know, and, and that. C.S. Lewis has this great quote. He says, uh, he's an, he was an atheist for 40 something years, became a Christian brilliant man, wrote Chronicles and Arnia. Anyway, he, he has this quote. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. 
You know, and, it's, and he's so right. I mean, you just, the stories are countless of celebrities and athletes and people who just kind of reach the pinnacle of whatever their field is. And when they got there, were surprised by how unsatisfying it was. Like, that's, the stories are countless. Like, I, I'm still empty. I'm still lonely, right? What's, it's because you, you were made for another world. Like, your home is somewhere else, right, with someone else. Those things won't satisfy that longing, right? So let's think about briefly our future home. So our way home, living by faith, um, our future home. I think it's really interesting how this passage describes our future home. <clears throat> our future home is described as a city. Every time this passage talks about our future, it talks about a city. You see it in verse 10. You see it in verse 16. Our future home is a city designed, built, and prepared by God. The Bible, it's interesting if you just think about cities. Like, the Bible begins in a, in a garden with a garden, but ends in Revelations with, with a city, right? Jesus was born in a rural community, a farm town. He finished his work on the cross in a city. Uh, in fact, if you think about his ministry, just kind of the trajectory and journey of his ministry, it was kind of going from this little farm town to the city, Jerusalem, right? Uh, Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, he went on at least three missionary journeys, right? And he would go to plant churches. He went on them. If you go look, I, I'm, I'm willing to say that almost every one of them, maybe every one of them, the first place he would go when he would go on these missionary journeys were to cities. And then from there, he would branch out. But he started the cities. Uh, it's just fascinating. I wish, uh, just kind of this idea of cities uh, it'd be something I wish you had, if we had tons of time, we'd explore it. But what I want us to do is instead of thinking about cities, I want us to think about, in the little time we've got, why the city of God mentioned in this passage is what you and I want so bad. We want. When we're daydreaming, what we're daydreaming about is what this passage is pointing us to. And, and I know if cities make you uncomfortable, I don't know if cities make you uncomfortable. So I'm from a small rural town. I love, I like cities. I love cities. I like small towns too. Uh, but, but growing up, my family, the cities were like the place you go and you get out as fast as possible. Okay. It's like you're running red lights, city's crazy, got to go in. Like, yes, I got to go to this specialist, get my heart checked out. And then we're out of here. Maybe we'll stop at Costco, but it's got to be fast. All right. Don't even ask about the mall. The mall is worse than the city. You know, that's kind of the fa like my family's crazy. I come from a long line of rednecks. Cities freak them out. And so if you're uncomfortable with cities, you're going to want this city. You're going to want it. You daydream about it. Um, and so let's think about this city. Two things. This city of God that's mentioned here that, that Abraham is looking forward to has foundations. Now, that doesn't sound real sexy. But what that means is it's permanent. It's unshakable. It's eternal. Like, you want those things. 2020, January 5th started. My grandfather died January 5th in 2020. Two weeks ago, in one week, 
I know two people that I sat around the dinner table with that died from COVID-19, right? Um, I mean, just think of the, the racial tension we've seen this year. Think of uh, my friends have gotten divorces in the last two years. Like, I want these kind of foundations. Like, I daydream about this stuff where it's permanent and it's unshakable and it's eternal, right? I mean, like, I, I daydream about that. And the second thing that you daydream and that you want that this city has is it's sinless. Man, we're here, like, there's no separation between us and God. God will walk with us and not be ashamed. I don't know about you, but that's hard for me to believe. Like, the, the thought of God walking with me and not being ashamed, like, I'm ashamed of me. He's not gonna be, right? The, the thought of being sinless, do you ever stay dreaming about that? I do. The thought of being sinless, like, I want sin, and none of the people around me will either. Like, I, I'm a sinner. Like, I'm really good at it. If I'm good at anything, if somebody said, Brian, what are you an expert at? I'd say sin. I'm awesome at it. It's so natural. <laughs> you know, like, like I, I daydream sometimes about, man, what would it look like for me to not be self-centered? What's that going to look like? Like, I just daydream about that stuff. For me not to love things I shouldn't love, for me not to be impatient and yell at my kids, you know? And I mean, the list goes on and on and on. What is it for you? Like, daydream about sinlessness because that's, that's what the city of God is going to be like, right? Man, we want this. We daydream about this stuff. An author named Jeremy Huggins, he's this author in Memphis, Tennessee, if you're ever there, you can get some good barbecue. And so he, I, I discovered him years ago, but he wrote this essay on beauty. I know, you're like, really? I know. Uh, and there's this part in this essay that is super engaging, and I'll never forget reading it. And I'm gonna, I want you to imagine this. He, he, he writes this, and so I want, you to, I want you to play along with this guy, like as if you're sitting across from him at a coffee shop and he's asking you this question. Jeremy Huggins. <clears throat> he says, imagine God appeared to you, you, it's me, and said, I'll make a deal with you if you wish. I'll give you anything and everything you ask. Pleasure, power, honor, wealth, freedom, even peace of mind, and a good conscience. I'll give you all that. Nothing will be a sin. Nothing will be forbidden nothing will be impossible for you. You will never be bored. My kids are like, yes, tell me more. You know, like you'll never be bored. You will never die. Only catch, you shall never see my face. Imagine God offered you all of that and at the end said, only you shall never see my face. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember when I read this for the first time, I remember being, un, like, I remember, like, yeah, man, I really like, yes, that's dreamy. And then I got to that last line, and I was uncomfortable. I was, I remember being unsatisfied. I remember my heart just kind of stopped, and I remember I spent the day just kind of thinking through, like, what? 
why do I not like that? Like, why is that frustrating? What is it, right? And I think this is it. Uh, it's, it, you get to that last line and you realize, man, all that other stuff isn't satisfying, right? It's not. Because you get to that last line and you realize all that other stuff is not our real desire. Like deep down, it's really, it's really not what I want. What we want is to see the face of God. We all want that. We, we may not know it, but, but our home is with God. And so we're going to always feel that restlessness, right? We're always going to feel that tension because he is ultimately our home. And we'll never be satisfied until we're with him. And here's the gospel for you guys. Jesus experienced homelessness. So you never have to. Jesus left his home to bring you back home. And he did that because he loves you no matter what. Because he's a great savior who came to save sinners like me. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, thank you for being a great savior um, for sinners. Uh, thank you for coming to earth and laying down your life so that we could have life, so that we could have a home with you, with the Father. Uh, would that, would the gospel change us, I pray? Would we see your great love for us? Would it compel us? Would it complete us? I pray. Um, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.